We'll take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter number 9. You say, Pastor, it's Easter. It seems awfully strange to go to Romans for Easter. Very briefly, let me just set this up, what's in my heart, and I'll be thankful to preach what God's put in my heart. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important moment in all of history. Let me say it again for everybody. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event that has ever happened, ever. There has never been a more cataclysmic, more consequential moment in all of time since time began than the moment that Jesus became alive again. It is the most important moment. Uh, we have to understand and we have to remember, we have to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. He was all God. He was all man. And for modern scholars and skeptics who like to say, well, the Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a good rabbi. And he had a good following. I heard one guy say if Jesus lived in this day and time, he would just be a big social media influencer for good. Uh, Jesus is so much more than an influencer. Jesus is the Son of God. Perfect and sinless yet tempted by the devil himself and remain perfect and sinless. Uh, you can go to the New Testament and you can understand clearly that Jesus' resurrection from the dead was the supreme declaration of his deity or his portion or his share of the Godhead, his unity with the Godhead, his personality in the Godhead. Uh, the resurrection then is the declaration of his deity and it's the affirmation of his deity. There are all, all, many things in the New Testament that you can go to to look for affirmation of the deity of Christ. Just the fact that he was born the way he was born of a virgin was affirmation that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. The fact that uh, at his baptismal, there was God the Father, the voice of God the Father, uh, the Holy Spirit in the likeness of a dove. It was more evidence that Jesus really was the Son of God. All God and all man, yet he was here for you and for me. Uh, you can go and see many opportunities to recognize the deity of Jesus Christ. You can go to Mount Hermon, to the Transfiguration, where there was God the Father, Moses, Elijah, and three Hebrew witnesses, James, Peter, and John. And you can say with all certainty that his deity was affirmed that day. But there is nothing in Scripture... There is nothing in the New Testament or the Old more powerful, more consequential than the moment that Jesus got up from the grave and was alive once again. It was the confirmation of his deity. All that had been said, all that had been preached. And in our salvation, according to Scripture, the same power that brought Jesus Christ back to life is the same power that saves us and indwells us now as believers. The Bible says that you and I, those that are in the faith, are partakers in the divine nature. There is some of this that is supernatural that I cannot fully understand. But here's what I do know. The day I got saved, 
something happened to the old Winston. The day I got saved, I was a dead, dying spiritual corpse that was hopeless. There was nothing inside of me good. There was nothing I could do to make God pleased with me on my own. There was no candle I could light. There was no check I could write. I desperately was dead. But then when Jesus came by, he made me alive spiritually. It's the same power that brought Jesus back to life that reaches into the hearts and the lives of people who maybe even today are sitting in this building or worshiping online and you're dead in trespass of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is the death sentence that has been passed on to everyone who has ever been born. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But what you have to understand is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a domino effect that affects even you today. This is where it's going to get real. Some of y'all had not been in church in a long time. Hold on. If you ever wonder if the preacher's talking about you, I am. If you're breathing and you got a pulse, say amen. Oh, that's you then. If you're not breathing and you don't have a pulse, someone please call 911 immediately. It's for you. Every single person or the sound of my voice, every single person that's wor- worshiping online and watching through a camera or a lens, it reaches into your life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a domino effect that happened 2,000 plus years ago, but it's even reaching into today, right now in this very moment. And there was a man who knew this almost better than anyone who has ever lived more than Jesus Uh, less than Jesus, but who understood it in in a more human way because he himself was just like you and just like me. And his name was Saul. Then one day on the Damascus road, he was actually on his way to harm Christians, to try to put out the church before it could get started. And on the Damascus road, something happens and the domino effect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ blasts into this moment on the Damascus road. And Jesus goes and gets this guy named Saul. A religious Jew, he spoke multiple languages, he was intellectual, but on that day, on that road, God changed his life. And he knew because of the own, his own testimony and his own witness that the resurrection of Jesus changed everything, even for him. And now we're years into his ministry. Go to Romans chapter 9, go to the first verse, and listen to this truth that pours out of the Apostle Paul. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. In other words, what I'm getting ready to say is absolutely true. And God the Holy Ghost has certified it. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen... According to the flesh. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, for just a few minutes, God, we're going to do our very best to do what you've put in our heart. Hide us behind the cross. Give us the words to say. God, I pray that you would take over this service and this message. God, for every person that's here that's lost and undone, Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost of God will do what only he can do. God, I can't save anybody in this building. I can't change a single heart. But Holy Ghost of God, you can. 
And God, I pray that now you begin to break chains and knock the mud of the world off the people. Bind the strong men. Give us liberty. God calls the saints to pray with fervor and urgency in their heart. And Jesus, we pray that you'd be glorified. You'd be magnified in all that's said and all that's done for your sake. Thank you, Jesus, for Easter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. A few things that you have to know. You must understand about this passage, these three verses. In my personal opinion, these are some of the most heavy, consequential verses in all of the New Testament simply because Paul is saying that God has affirmed this statement to be true. He even talks about his own conscience because Paul knew that human emotion and the human conscience can get the best of us. And he's saying, this is past me, this is past my emotion, this is past my conscience, but I am so burdened for my friends, I'm so burdened for my family, that I would be willing to be accursed from Christ for their sake. And we have to take this apart, we have to understand exactly what he's saying, but understand that the Apostle Paul could not make this statement without the resurrection have happening. You can't have this statement without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, you have no gospel. There's nothing to believe in. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you are not a Christian. You can't have uh, some sort of Jesus that does not embrace completely the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the antithesis of all that is holy and wonderful and right about us. You can go to the grave of Buddha. You can go to the grave of Muhammad the prophet and you will find bones. But travel to Jerusalem, go down into the garden and you will find no evidence of death. Only flowers and empty caverns. For Jesus is alive. It is the essence of our faith. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Without the gospel, there is no salvation. And with no salvation, there is no hope. You say, well, I can embrace the the idea of a good man teaching good things, act this way, uh, do this, do that, don't murder, don't steal, don't kill. But when we get to this supernatural sci-fi stuff about a guy who gets up three days later after being dead, it's too much for me. Then you need to pray and ask God to give you the faith to believe so that one day you can inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot be a Christian and deny the resurrection. They're called Sadducees. They deny all supernatural power. They deny all supernatural working of the Holy Ghost. And for people to go to heaven to see the Father, it only comes through and by true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in His biblical capacity. So the Apostle Paul cannot even make this statement if the resurrection is not true. But the resurrection is true. There's more eyewitnesses and more eyewitness accounts and statements of people who at first denied his deity about his resurrection than there are about certain things about Nero that are taught in modern history. It is an eyewitness proven account that Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was whipped, who was beaten, who was tortured, who was put on the cross, he got up on the third day and they could never find his body and he appeared to all these people and he ascended into heaven and the good news is he's coming again. But Paul can't make this statement unless the resurrection really happened. His burden is specific. It's for his blood. He said, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He's talking about the Jews. And this word accursed is so strong. It's so over the top. The word here is anathema. In the Greek is anathema. 
And it means to be eternally condemned. It, it means to be cut off from any hope. It means to be abandoned. It means to be utterly destroyed. And, and, and what he's saying is, I'm willing to be accursed from Christ. I'm willing to die and go to hell, cut off from the ability of Christ intervening, if it means that my friends and my family could see Jesus in the same light that I saw Him on the Damascus Road. If only the Jews could believe like I believe, then in all truth and in all sincerity, I would die and be cut off from Christ for all of eternity. This is one of the most powerful statements ever to be said. And outside of God the Father giving His Son, I think there are very few more provoking moments than this in all of the New Testament. Although Paul knows what he's saying is impossible, it is the evidence of what's in his heart. Understand that only God can give you a burden like this. Only God would allow something like this to ever come on you. You can't make this up on your own. This is a burden that God's assigning this man to have for his own people and even for the Gentile. But understand that only God could give him this burden. There are a few things that you have to understand about Paul who had this burden. And really it's the essence of the burden. Number one, Paul would have had to really understand the realities of eternity. Paul would have had to understand the realities of eternity. Here we go. We're going to get the whole crowd yet again. This is everybody that's here. If you've got a pulse in your breathing, say amen. amen. About 50% of you stop breathing and don't have a pulse no more. If you've got a pulse in your breathing, say amen. amen. This is for you. The reality of eternity. Every single solitary person under the sound of my voice, whether you're in a pretty little padded blue chair, or if you're home and you're lazy boy and you're watching on Facebook, no matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter your skin color, no matter how much money you have, no matter what side of town you live on, every single person under the sound of my voice is going to spend eternity somewhere. Now, define eternity. I can't. Define what eternity is. I can't. Think of a hundred years and how long a hundred years is. Then multiply that times a billion then whatever that sum is, multiply that times a hundred billion. And then whatever that sum is, multiply it by a hundred trillion. And then you will just begin to get started on counting the years included in eternity. And every single person here has already for them an eternity that is coming. Every single person here. And Paul knew that his friends and his family, his kinsmen according to the flesh, his own blood was going to spend eternity somewhere. He would understand the realities of, e of eternity. And then the good news is, he would understand the reality, secondly, of heaven. This is the potential of eternal life. This was secured by the resurrection. That heaven is a real place that real people can go. And that it exists even now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then thirdly, not only would he have understood the realities of eternity, the realities of heaven, but he would have understood the realities of a place called hell. A place called hell. You say, well, pastor, it's 2023. We can't really talk about hell. That's what's wrong with us. 
You see, I believe it's part of the fall, it's part of the curse. Where Adam and Eve messed up in the garden for us all. It's part of what we live under, the heavy burden and the reality that every single solitary day, you can go to Park Ridge, you can go to Mission, you can go to Pardee, you can go to any hospital in America, and you will find that every day there are people who go into eternity and they go into an eternity without the knowledge of the realities of the resurrection. And they go into the uh, realm of eternity either indifferent or ignorant to the truth about a place called heaven and a place called hell. The Bible clearly and explicitly teaches that hell is a real place. It's the place where the wicked and the unbelieving are sent after death. It is an eternal place. And you say, well, who is hell assigned to? Hell is assigned to, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, I was born at Mission Hospital in the old campus on March the something, 1990. And when I was born, I was born with a stamp across my forehead. And it said, sinner. I was born with that nature. I was born broken, I was born destitute, and I had no hope. And God in grace and mercy was long-suffering enough with me to allow me 15 years of rebellion towards Him before one night over here on a Wednesday night, God graciously and mercilessly saved me. But until that point, if I would have gone into eternity and having the knowledge that I did even at 15 years old, my eternity was set and it was an eternal punishment for sin that was left unforgiven. You see, sometimes we equate equate heaven and hell with whether I go to church. Sometimes we equate heaven and hell with whether I'm a good person. Sometimes we equate heaven and hell with whether I've killed somebody before. The only way you come to the Father, the only way you ever see heaven is to have your sin completely, totally, absolutely forgiven. It's done by blood purchased on the cross. The just punishment for sin, the required punishment for that sin is absolute total death. Since all of our sin is ultimately against God, and since God is infinite and God is eternal, the punishment for sin and for that death must also be infinite and eternal. Hell is infinite, hell is eternal, and hell is prepared for those who do not believe. It is the punishment of the wicked It's all described throughout Scripture. It's such a heavy thing to consider. You see, the Apostle Paul was so burdened. He understood clearly what he was saying. Oh, there are some people I love who don't know the truth. There's some friends, there's some family that I I love with all my heart, and they're cut off from the truth. The domino effect of the resurrection, it reaches even to them, but they don't know. Matthew 25, 41 describes some of these elements in this place called hell it calls it an everlasting fire Matthew three twelve calls it an unquenchable fire Daniel twelve two talks about the condition the atmosphere that it is a place of shame and everlasting contempt Mark nine forty four and through 48 it talked multiple times about fire that is not quenched fire that shall not be quenched fire that is not quenched And be cast into hell fire, the fire that is not quenched. The terrible place of torment and fire. Luke 16, the 23rd verse. This is a scene recorded of a man who was in hell. 
And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I want you to think about the most thirsty you've ever been in your entire life. You just got done with a big run. Maybe you played a game of baseball or football. Maybe you've just been at home working with the kids and you get thirsty, your old mouth gets dry. And you're ready for a drink of cool water. It does not even begin to describe the thirst that this man was experiencing, the burning, the constant torment that he was experiencing in hell. He cried out and said, if you'll just send Lazarus and stick his finger in water. I'm so thirsty that this one little drop, if I can just get that one little drop, then maybe it will bring me some relief. That is the reality of this place called hell. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 calls it a place of everlasting destruction. Revelation 14 talks about the wine of the wrath of God, that all of the wrath of God, all of the wrath of God will be poured out on the inhabitants of hell undiluted, that there will be no mercy. Verse 24 of that Luke 16 chapter, he said, I am tormented. In this flame. Revelation 20.10 talks about the lake of fire. The brimstone. That it would be torment for day and for night. 24 hours a day for all of eternity. Forever and forever. And Paul's saying. God. I'll take it. God I'll do it. If you'll let me take hell. So that the Jews can see who you are. This is what the apostle Paul was asking for. The punishment of the wicked in hell is as everlasting and never ending as the bliss and the righteousness and the goodness of heaven. In Matthew 25, 46, Jesus Himself tells us that the punishment in hell is just as everlasting as what we experience in heaven. Psalm 76, 10 tells us that the wicked are forever subject to the fury and the wrath of God. Those who are in hell will know why they're in hell. They'll know that, they're, that they and they only are to blame. It's an eternal place of torment. And Paul's saying, I'm so burdened. I'm so broken for my friends and my family that don't know the realities of the resurrection. You see, the horror of hell, the reality of hell, the eternal implications of hell are alarming but Paul's burden and his heaviness, now pay attention closely to this, was not because of hopelessness. If we gave the description of hell and said there's no way out, how horrible that message would be. How terrible the news would be. But that is not the whole story. It gets a whole lot better. It gets a whole lot better. Paul knew and he understood that he could be burdened because there was hope. And the hope for his friends, his kinsmen according to the flesh, was linked all the way back, if you'll follow the dominoes, all the way to the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. The realities of hell can be a message of hope, but it's hope that's paid for by the realities of Christ's resurrection. Praise God that people do not have to die and go to hell. I said people do not have to die and go to hell. 
Let me say it one more time that people do not have to die and go to hell. There is hope. There is hope. And it's in the realities of the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and ultimately His resurrection, He assigned to Himself all power, all authority, all rule, and all reign over death, over hell, and over the grave. I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm not afraid to die. I want to live, I want to do all I can, but if tomorrow is my day, then praise God, you can be absolutely certain where I am. I have that peace that passeth all understanding. It comes to you now and it comes to me now to understand where we are. Where are you? What has been the effect of the resurrection in your life? Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Is it more than just showing up to church, sitting in a blue chair? Is it a daily lifestyle of pleasing the Lord? God said in His Word, if you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love me, then love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Give me everything that you are as a living sacrifice every day. For the wages of sin is death, and it is your death sentence that we all are born with. But the good news is in Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Here's what you've got to understand about Jesus dying on the cross. Christ took upon Himself the curse. Jesus literally became my sin on the cross. The death sentence that had been pronounced on me, a violator of the law, Jesus said, I'll take the wrath and I'll take the punishment. And as we close, go back to Matthew 27. This is before His resurrection. Our Lord and our Savior was on the cross. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Darkness is a sign of judgment. Darkness is a sign of the absence of God. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in three hours of darkness on the cross, God blinded everyone, no one could see. There was a complete and total shutout of light. It was recorded even as far as Cairo, Egypt, that there was a particular day when suddenly there was an eclipse of all sun and all light for over three hours recorded in Cairo, Egypt. And there Jesus was on the cross in the pitch black dark. And understand, God is too holy, God is too righteous to just look over sin. It was not enough for Jesus to be whipped, for Jesus to be nailed to the tree, and for Him to wear the crown of thorns. God had to pay for your sin with the justification paid for by Jesus. But to get that justification, God had to pour out all the wrath intended for you in eternity. In three hours of obscurity and darkness on the cross. Everything that you would have ever experienced in hell for all of eternity, the divine power of God poured out on His own Son in three hours. Your hell has already been experienced. 
Your suffering has already been accomplished. And it was done in the dark on the cross on Golgotha. Jesus cries out, God, my father, Abba, daddy, why have you forsaken me? Because God in his holiness and in his righteousness could no longer be in fellowship and communion with his son. And for the first time ever, ever, because of me, the Godhead separated in unity and God the Father turned his back on his darling precious son for you and for me. The power of the cross, the reality of the resurrection. Praise God for the cross. I said praise God for the cross. Christ hung. And when it was over, He cried out. There was no longer any reason for God's Son to hang naked on the cross. All the punishment and all the wrath had been poured out. And understand that your Jesus was not murdered by Roman soldiers. John 10, 18 says clearly, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received of my Father. Verse 50 of Matthew 27. Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost and said, it's finished. It's over. I went to Winston's hell. I experienced the wrath of God. And now it's over. I can go to the grave. You see, it wasn't just enough for him to receive the punishment. He had to absolutely, completely die. And that's exactly what happened that day. Matthew 28. This is the domino. This is where it starts. The first verse says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his remnant white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Over 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, Israel, Jesus Christ of Nazareth became your sin on the cross. And here you are over 2,000 years later. And you may be sitting here and you refuse to believe. And you may be sitting here and you're skeptical of the Word of God. Understand that eternity is eternity. And that death is coming for us all. Are you ready? Have you responded to the fact that the dominoes made it to your feet? What if, what if this was the last day of your life? You say, that's a scare tactic. No, it's reality. What if this is the last 24-hour period of your life? Just in the past few days, faithful members of our church who were here at Sunday 8 a.m. service and Sunday 10.30 a.m. service, they're already in eternity. 
They didn't even make it to the next service. So what's to promise you that your vapor is not going to run out this week? And in a world full of distraction and in a world full of opinion and in a world full of lies and hurt and pain and shame and guilt and darkness and wickedness, is this not the point where you just draw the line in the sand and say, I've had enough? Turn from your wicked ways, repent, believe upon the name of Jesus and allow him to do what only he can do. And let him change your life. There's some people in this building, my God in heaven, your palms are sweaty, your heart's beating a thousand times a minute, and you know that if you died today, that hell would be your assignment. And your pride is welling up. Oh, pride's going to send so many people into eternity. What will people think of me? Oh, how embarrassing that will be. You don't understand how long eternity is. If you knew and if you understood, you should get up and run to Jesus. Run to Him and cast yourself at His mercy. Believe upon His name for salvation. If you have but one ounce of one doubt, do not leave this building without someone taking the Word of God and showing you the truth. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Holy Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, we come into your presence. Lord, I feel it in my spirit. God, there are people in here today, Lord, that need to be saved. Lord, I beg you, I can't do it. I can't persuade them. I can't make them. But Holy Ghost, you can. You can open their eyes. You can help them to see who you are and what you are. And I pray that you do it now. Lord, it is the passion of our life. It is the calling from the Word of God to preach the truth without fear and without favor. And God, to give it to the people who need it. And Lord, I pray now, Holy Ghost, move, draw, convict, and save for your glory. Christians, would you lead the way? If you know how to pray, you've got a burden for somebody that's lost. Would you just come and pray? Anybody in your family need to be saved? Would you just come call their name out and ask God to save them? Do you have some babies, some grandbabies in your life, in your family that need Jesus? How about coming and doing what the Apostle Paul did? Lay it at his feet. Call out their name to God for my kinsmen according to the flesh. Are you here today and you need Jesus? Would you just come? Just find a place to pray. Raise your hand. Somebody will come to you in this altar and take the Word of God. There are many already coming. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking unless you're coming to the altar. I want to be so careful, so tender. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice? You say, Pastor, with all honesty and all transparency, if I was to die today, this was my last day on earth, I can't say with any assurance that heaven would be my home. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Would you be man enough, woman enough, just make eye contact with me or raise your hand. No one's going to come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. But say, Pastor, I've got some questions about eternity. I'm just not ready. No one's looking around. This is between me, you, and God. Would you just raise your hand, slip up your hand. God bless you, sir, in the back. Thank you for being honest. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am, in the back. Thank you for your transparency, your honesty. 
anyone else. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thank you for being honest. Jesus can fix it today. Anyone else? That's four precious souls. God bless you, sir. Thank you for being honest. God bless you, young man. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not ready for eternity, Pastor. Anyone else? There's a bunch on this side. How about in this side? Anyone else? All you have to do is raise that hand. Make eye contact. I just want to know how to pray. If you raise your hand and you're serious and you want this Easter to be your last Easter with those questions, those doubts and those fears, would you just come? All those hands that went up, nobody's looking. Nobody's going to make a scene. But would you meet me right down here at the communion table? They're going to sing. I'm going to meet you right here at this communion table. There were hands all over this building. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. I've got my Bible in hand. Would you just come and let me show you what the Word of God says? Listen as they sing. Christians, keep praying. A lot of hands went up.